Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is August the 21st of 2019. I am Nick, here with Chris. We are both visible again, Chris. I'm not mm-hmm. in stealth mode any longer. Yay. Nope. No camera can contain you, Nick. That's how impressive you are right now. That's actually a really flattering way of putting it. Thank you. There you go. You're welcome, yeah. buddy. I'm here for you. Yeah, it's, it's, you're making it weird now. Yeah, I gotta do that. Can't, can't, can't be earnest, Nick. I no can't sincerity. Say, I can't say something with sincerity without undercutting it with the joke. It's a tremendous problem I have that I can't stop. Yeah, gotta put up those waka barriers. Waka. <laughs> <laughs> See, if I say a joke afterwards, they'll think it's a joke, but they'll also kind of like there was some earnestness behind it, but not enough that we can emotionally connect. No, There's still a barrier there. Never let anyone in. Nope. That's how the vampires get in. You let them in, and then they just walk into your house, because that's the one way you stop them, is you don't allow them into your household. Yeah, and then there's, you know, if you let the right one in, then that's actually a vampire girl, too. Mm. So, question, Nick. Yes. Uh, Is it verbal permission specifically that you need to give the vampire? Or, like, if I'm wearing, like, a t-shirt that's, like... Uh, vampires welcome here can a vampire be like that's kind of i mean you know that's basically like saying come on in or something like that i feel like that's uh not welcoming someone specifically into your home so what if i accidentally welcome someone into my home yes uh, that 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 counts because what if there's a there i i remember a very vivid example from buffy because I didn't watch Buffy, but my parents watched it. Wait, so I would did catch Buffy follow like the weird roles of vampires? Yes. Did it? And, was there like an episode where Buffy's like, "I gotta escape this vampire," and then she's like, "Oh, thank goodness, running water! They can't walk over that!" And she just jumps to the other side. I don't know about that, but they did specifically follow the a vampire cannot enter a home that they're not invited into rule. Uh, so people's residences were safe from them uh, at night as long as they had not been invited inside. But there was one episode where her little her shitty little sister, Dawn, while they were like confronting some vampires who were just outside of their uh, home, she got pissed off at one of them and was like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you come in here and say that? And she did. So, uh, yes, if you accidentally invite someone into your house through a slip of the tongue as long as it is actually like you know why don't you come over here why don't you come inside then that counts so was there ever an episode of buffy where she was being chased by vampires and to escape she threw a bag of rice on the ground and the vampire's like i have to count every grain now probably not damn i got but... really excited for buffy for a moment because I feel i feel like that would be an incredibly easy way of dealing with them <laughs> You know, just like carry because like carrying a bag of rice around like that's your pocket, what it, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's something very innocuous. You know, it's not like someone's going to like frisk you for a bag of rice or something like that. And it's not like you have to carry a giant piece of sharpened wood around. So I don't think that they were able to do that. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. That show lasted seven seasons, Chris. You have to understand. <laughs> <laughs> they may have gotten to some desperate measures in the later seasons. So like, ah. These vampires have iron uh, breastplates, so they're immune to being stabbed in the heart. So what we have to do is we have to throw a bag of rice down a precarious cliffside, and they go dive down after them. And they no, go, oh. I must count them. <laughs> I had to count all those grains. 
<laughs> they're all Transylvanian for some reason. <laughs> they're like, ah, when I'm here in sunny California hanging around, we have a normal super dude accent. But when you throw the ice, ah. <laughs> I don't just turn Transylvanian, I turn Italian for some <laughs> oh, reason. Mamma mia, haven't you know all of Empire's are Italiano? Ah, uh, yes, I will never forget Buffy's romances with, uh, with uh, ambivalent figures such as Spike and Angel whenever they went, Oh, yes, I'm here to suck your blood, but I'm in love with you, too. <laughs> you know, that's that really does strike a chord with how I remember Buffy as a child. I was always like, Mom, when are these Italian stereotypes going to get off television? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Nick, you want to talk about manga now? Yeah, I guess let's do that. Uh, we took a recommendation last week. This is the fastest turnaround we've had on one of these in a long time. Remember when this was just our thing, Chris? Yeah. We would read manga one week and then talk about it the next. <laughs> it was like, hey, how long is this? 17 volumes? No problem. I'll just read it within the next six I'm days. Tw- I'm 20 years old. I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> I have a job where they barely monitor what I do, so I'll just read Skip Beat for 16 hours. Why not? Uh, well, we took a recommendation last week. For a series, a very new series, uh, it's been running for about four months now, called Spy Family. Uh, it releases every other week. You can read it for free on Manga Plus. When we read it, you could read the entire thing for free. But wouldn't you know it, we got in just under the deadline for when they start cutting that off. And so now you can't read the middle three of nine chapters that are currently out. You can only read the first three and then you can read the most recent three on that app. Uh, but that's still a good, that's still a majority of the series right now. Um, you're, you're not missing a tremendous amount. And look, not for nothing, support the official release. There are yes. ways to find those other chapters if you need to, because uh, let me tell you a story, Nick. Guess who found out that they uh, took those chapters off midway through reading them? <laughs> <laughs> so you like hit next chapter and we're like, this is not available. God damn it. <laughs> I hit next chapter. And I was like, chapter nine. This uh, this feels this a bit bad. sudden. <laughs> I was on chapter three. But support the official release when it comes out, because uh, to not spoil this entire review, this is a very good series in my mind. This was going to be our palate cleanser uh, before we get into Sadistic September. And it definitely did that did its job in that regard. Um, this is one of the best series I think we've read in a while. I've really liked a bunch of the series that we've read this week. Uh, a fair number I've liked more than you. But this was the first series in a while where, like, I mean, this, this series could have been 100 chapters and I would have read it all in one week. It Every single time that I completed a chapter... It was so much fun that I had to go on to the next one. It's not as if I was like, oh, I want to find out what happens next. It's, it was just I was having so much fun reading it and was so entertained that I had to read the next chapter right away because it was so much fun. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a tough series to like on the surface describe to people because it's like it's a spy comedy premise, family yeah. manga and it it skates on this edge where it it plays so loosely with its own plot because mm-hmm. the main thing is like the two adult leads are basically living double lives but the mm-hmm. child has psychic powers and can read their minds so the kid should like the kid kind of knows 
that something's up, but at no point does it ever just delve into like the drama of like the kid knows my secret. I have to stop. It's all just like willful dumb ignorance as like yeah. to help explain jokes and things like that. But despite being such a silly series at times, it has one of the strongest, earnest emotional cores of any series kind of running a jump right now, where you're like, oh wow, this this weird ass family actually really does care about each other. Like yeah. Absurd. In their own in their own way. Yeah. So to start off with, we begin with this the the actual only spy in this family who we don't know his real name. We only know his code name uh, and the name that he goes by during the majority of the series because he's operating under an alias, which is Lloyd. And Lloyd's latest mission is that he has to uh, infiltrate this academy for uh, outstanding young people uh, in order to get close to the parent of one of the children attending the academy because uh, basically the country thinks that uh, he might betray them to the West. There's politics in this series but it's very vague fantasy politics because it's like there is the east and the west country and mm. that's it, it it's it's his own weird world where it's futuristic and yet also the 40s like <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like you're, you're clearly like there's there seems to be a lot of like germanic influences but mm -hmm. then russian influences it well while also kind of being like a cold war scenario yeah like there's there's a lot of different little pieces at play here. It's not really important. It's a spy series, but there's not like you know the U.S. and against Russia or anything like that. You don't have to concern yourself with what the actual nationalities are. Yeah. So in order to infiltrate this school, he has to have a child. So he's just like, uh, I don't like relying on other people, but I guess if it's for the sake of the mission, I'll do it. So he goes into this orphanage and he's looking through kids. and He's like, I've got to find a kid who I can get into this academy. And he comes across this six year old girl and she basically is like completing thoughts that he has as he's trying to think of ways to test her. And he's like, hmm, well, she's playing on a crossword. But well, yeah, this crossword's easy for me. You know, two down is this absurd biology component or something like that. And there's the he's you know, doing that. And then she turns around. She's got all the answers written down. He's like, oh, this girl's brilliant. And it turns out that the girl, Anya, is just psychic. She is an esper. So she was reading his mind in order to get the right answers to make herself seem smart. So because Anya cheater. Honey is a cheater. And besides that, besides the fact that she is psychic, Anya's just a typical stupid six-year-old kid. Like she's got no exceptional mental abilities beyond being able to read minds. So she spends most of her time at home watching a spy anime series. And <laughs> like there are times when like, you know, they're she's just like, I wanna just like read their mind so I know the right answer so I don't have to study. And there's a, like a little bit where, you know, she tries to read Lloyd's mind in order to uh, find out what the answers to a math homework she's doing are. And he's got these complicated equations going on in his head. And she's just like, ah, and is even more confused as results. <laughs> so mission accomplished, right? Lloyd's got a kid he can put in the academy. No, 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 no. 
as part of the entrance. <laughs> you know, you'd think that he would have just understood that, like, he could have just told them he was an only parent, but he's probably just got such a straightforward way of dealing with things that, that didn't occur to him. I think, They're like, I think the implication is that this is a very, like, uh, hoity-toity kind of rich school, and they probably they wouldn't a, ex- yeah. accept a single parent. They expect there to be a very, you know, standard uh, nebulous family. So they expect both parents to be there for the entrance exam. So he's like, well, shit, I've got to get married in like the next two weeks. (laughs) So wouldn't you know it, there happens to be an assassin that he runs into in a store. And Anya does a little bit of matchmaking because she can read their minds and so you know the woman Yor is thinking about the fact that she's a hit woman and Anya being a spy anime fan is like oh my dad could be a spy and my mom could be a hit woman that'd be so cool and she kind of tries to push them together a little bit by going like oh god I I really need a mom right now I don't have one and (laughs) so they get introduced to each other and once you know it, Yor needs to pretend to have a boyfriend in order to keep up appearances at her job and with her brother so they don't suspect that she is secretly a hit woman in order to pay the bills. And so they each kind of need the other to pretend to be with them. So they're like, all right, let's get married out of convenience, essentially. And they do that. And despite the fact that Lloyd is a spy and Yor is a hit woman, neither of them is ever suspicious of the other. No. <laughs> it's it's astonishing. So the the way they justify it is that you're, uh, for lack of a better term, is kind of dumb. Like, she kind of just is thick, like, thick-headed and can't, like, pick up on it. Yeah. She and, is a genius when it comes to killing people, but that's about it. And then Lloyd is... He just doesn't seem to pick up on it like he's like nah, he does, like, he's not she'll, like, like she'll backflip down like seven flights of stairs and it'll be like yeah. wow she's athletic and it's just like but aren't you as a spy supposed to kind of be like well that's interesting and that's why i was like it it runs this very thin line of like you could just be like everyone this thing is such an idiot if they can't realize it but it it justifies itself right. well enough as the joke that you're like all right yeah sure it's kind of like a, a Nickelodeon cartoon or almost. Yeah. You know, you, there are times when it should be so obvious, but that's the joke. So uh, the, the first time that they are playing as if they're a couple, uh, they're at this party with yours, co-workers. And one of her co-workers is just a bitch and tries to trip in order to have this like hot dish that she's carrying go into yours face and scald her because you know you know i'll embarrass her by burning her face by annihilating her yeah and your counters this by swinging her foot up and catching it on her heel and then like throwing it away with her foot and the only reaction that lloyd has when she does this is oh d- darling d- d- you've shown each other everyone here a bit of your panties you can't do that you've got to be proper <laughs> just ignoring this incredible feat of agility and martial arts that she's performed yeah he's like ah come on it's uncouth she's, they've seen so much leg and like the night ends with they instead of just pretending to be a couple they decide to actually get married 
and it ends with some like Lloyd is being chased down by these guys from this other mission he's just performed and they're on the run from them and somehow they still don't realize that one of them's a spy and one of them's a hit woman. So Lloyd, they agree to get married and he throws a grenade at their enemies and he uses the pin that he's pulled out to be the wedding ring. It's so so cheesy and amazing. So we've been talking a bit about the series. We haven't really like mentioned the quality of the writing and the writing in this series is really where it shines so much. So in that chapter where we're introduced to it, it's like a side plot that it's like, uh, Yor is waiting for Lloyd to go to this party uh, and Lloyd has to go out, and he he ends up stopping like diamond smugglers. And yeah. When he gets the all the the diamonds, he's like, "I'll take this diamond ring," and immediately like, "Ah, oh, okay." He'll use the, the diamond ring, ring to yeah, propose yeah. to her. And then they subvert that that during that he's like, "I lost the ring. I don't know where it is." <laughs> and he's like, "Then I'll use this grenade pin instead." And you're like, "This is so stupid," but it is so earnest that it 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 absolutely makes up for itself. And it's all right. Go ahead. My dad uh, often says, because he's in the community theater and stuff, and he said, and he says that the key to a good comic performance is not to have someone, you know, be a ham and be all wacky and and you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience, which I think is not always the case. There are times when that's just the type of comedy performing. He says that, you know, comedy should come from the writing and from the performer being just dedicated to what their character is doing. And that's what the comedy in this series is like. There are going, there are times when Anya makes a silly face, but a lot of the comedy in this is done with the characters acting completely seriously and the absurdity of the situation carrying it across like when Lloyd and Yor are fighting off these hit these uh, you know hit men that are after them they're acting like you know action stars doing this stuff but the situation is so absurd because they're also talking about oh I guess we'll get we can get married and that would serve both of us wouldn't it okay yeah we'll do, we'll do this and I, I promise to you know love you forever and ever kind of thing and they're you know they're crouched behind this crate after he's thrown the grenade and he's put the pin on her on her finger to be the ring and there's this explosion from beyond the crate that you know is like making this aura around them and it's I mean, you talk about the writing. I really like the artwork in this series, too. Oh, the artwork's great. It's really good. I mean, it's you could see this being like an actual like action shonen series instead of being this goofy spy family series. Uh, And unbelievably, it only gets better after that point. Yeah. So we're still talking about a relatively young series, but uh, like the emotional core is super in place because i don't do we even specifically mention that like the whole thing with why lloyd has all this like why he agreed to kind of keep anya on and continue going on this plan as opposed to everything else because he's like i came from like a war-torn country and my greatest thing was i never want another child to have to go through the same pain that i Mm -hmm. did so a lot of like kind of the the thought process anya keeps thinking she's like i have to do well because Lloyd was like, oh, if this mission, if this mission's going to be a failure, I'll have to bring the kid back. So she's like, I don't want to be brought back. But we know, like, deep down, there's also this this desire in him to keep this family going because he he does. Like, it, it does become, like, a literal family unit. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like pretty quickly too, but not like in an unbelievable way. In a way where you're like, oh no, all these pieces kind of make sense. Like, right, you know, Yor has a, a a nurturing nature because she already raised her little brother, and and mm-hmm. you know what we learn about Lloyd and things like that. So it's like all the pieces are there to make this like a really good family dynamic, and every character involved is like super useful to not just the plot but like the comedy and everything as well yeah i oh we haven't even talked about the best character in the series (laughs) so they go into they go to the entrance exam for this academy and it is absurd they have to pass all of these like hidden tests which uh (laughs) Lloyd is absurdly prepared for in every regard. He's like, ah, oh, they will be testing our character. So we must be super prepared for anything that they can do. And there's like, you know, like a little boy stuck in a storm drain somehow. And he's like, help, help. And all the other families are like, no, we can't help him because he'll get our clothes dirty and we won't look proper for the exam. And Henderson, one of the teachers is watching this like, yes, this is a test. Uh, how can how can they do that? And of course, they've expected this exact scenario. <laughs> so Lloyd goes over and pulls the kid out and Anya gives him like some stuff to wipe the mud off and everything. And, and then Henderson's like, fear them because they are going to be presenting themselves while covered in mud. They are not worthy to be part of this gallery. They are not elegant. And then <laughs> Lloyd's just like, Fortunately, I prepared for such a case and gave and got us all backup clothing, and they put on new outfits. And it's like, oh, it's so elegant, it's so elegant. <laughs> and then there's like a rampage of cows and dogs somehow, and they stop that too. And Yor uses her like assassination ability to strike pressure points, and she's like, oh yeah, I learned about this from yoga and just tried it on the couch. <laughs> Everyone's like, makes sense to me. I mean, come okay. on. <laughs> so they stop this rampage and Henderson appears before Lloyd and the family. And he's like, Mr. Folger, I must apologize. I shall delay your, your entrance exam interview so that you may properly uh, clean yourself up so that you can appear before us. I shall give you a proper chance. And Lloyd's like, thank you, Mr. Henderson. But that is not necessary because I foresaw such an event and got a third <laughs> set of holy rolls. <laughs> And Henderson is just like once he's like turned a corner on them, he's like got their back because he admires their guts and their their poise so much. There's this other teacher who tries to just be a total douche to them. And he's like, you are just not being fair to them. Like Lloyd looks like he's going to punch the guy. And instead he crushes a mosquito and breaks the table underneath it too because he's like insulting your he's insulting Anya. He's saying, oh, you got remarried. Do you love your previous wife more than your? Hey, little Anya, which mom do you like more? The one that you had before or your current one? And I just starts crying. And it's just he's such an evil douchebag. Lloyd resists the urge to punch him out and then they leave. And Anderson's like. Um, he, he makes sure that they get in because he's like he acted with such poise and he justifies it later by saying like uh, you actually saved his life because do you know what animal causes more deaths than any other it is the mosquito for carrying diseases that was très élégant you know and of course meanwhile after the interview was over he just punched the guy out for being an asshole <laughs> he's so good yeah. and <laughs> 
Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, like it, he's like a cool extra element into it because although he's, I don't, I'm trying to think of like the best way to describe him. I guess almost like uh, Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter, where it's like it's someone who's supporting the kids but isn't going to give them a free pass because right. like the major thing they kind of establish is like to get to this target. You're going to have to be a parent of a kid who is part of the Imperial Scholars. Imperial Scholars need, I think it's seven or maybe eight, like, accommodations. Mm -hmm. But inversely, if they have, like, eight demerits, then they're expelled from the school, no questions asked. And it's, like, a big thing that's, like, Henderson's, like, even if you do it, I'll try to keep you from getting as many as possible. But I can't help you out of all these punishments. So it's, it's kind of this, you know, this nice little thing. I have to say, by the way, this organization that Lloyd is a part of is incompetent. For one thing, they get mad at him for spending money unnecessarily on things like he does a big special thing for Anya as to congratulate her for getting into the academy. And she's like, I want to have a spy mission in a castle. And he's like, um, but uh, don't you want do you want to pretend it's like, no, I go to a castle and have a spy mission. He's like, okay. They go, they like rent out a castle nearby and he's like, Hey, there's this. uh, Yeah. Okay. And, and they've got his like information broker there and he's like, okay, we're going to do a spy mission now. And I was like, where's all the people? He's like, what? Yeah. There should be like bystanders and other, and other secret agents and stuff. And I was like, just call in the like entire organization to play as extras for this little girl's (laughs) playtime. And she's really happy afterwards. And so he's like, it was all worth it. And then he's like, got to present the bill to their organization, which is like hundreds of thousands of dollars for renting a castle and paying hundreds of people to be there <laughs> because he loves his daughter, but he's in denial, you know, but then it becomes this thing. They've got established like, okay, you got into the, into the Academy. Now you have to make her be an elite student. <laughs> There's got to be a better way to do this. And Lloyd is actually like, I appreciate this because it's like you didn't need to do it. But they actually show that he is at least thinking of other alternatives. Like, I don't know if I can make this normal intelligence level six year old be an elite student at this school. So I'm going to launch. I'm going to pull some strings and have another plan. I'm going to have the target son and her end up in the same group. So then they could become friends and they'll get close and then they could go have play times together. And then I'll get close to that guy because, of course, the parents will will be. And it's like, that's actually a pretty that's a much more solid plan in my mind. than and then she'll be an elite student. (laughs) You You must get a, a random child. Then they must become the best at this super elite mega school. And right. then you will meet the, the guy you're trying to get, get to. Like, if that was the plan, then an aspect of the plan should have been, here is a super spy who looks like a child who will do really well because they're super smart. As opposed to, just go get a, a kid, you know? <laughs> anyway, rule of comedy. So... The problem with Lloyd's plan is that on the first day that they're put into groups, it turns out the target's kid is a little shit. He's an arrogant asshole. He immediately starts picking on Anya uh, along with his group of friends. So he tries to do what Lloyd and Yor have told her to and not immediately resorts to physical violence because Yor has been teaching her self-defense so that she won't be scared at the school. 
So she doesn't immediately resort to violence. She instead makes a series of incredibly amusing faces. <laughs> so she just gets these really unnatural looking faces and is just like, <laughs> you know, trying to act like it doesn't bother her. And it seems to work for a little bit. And then they're just like, well, that just gives them something else to make fun of, because, of course, they're, you know, little kid bullies. They're going to do that. So eventually, Mr. Henderson is is leading the kids around, introducing them to all the parts of the facility. And she looks over really obviously and sees him like walking around a corner. And there's just this big two page spread of her punching this kid across the face and knocking him into some furniture. <laughs> okay. If there are any parents in the audience, don't encourage your kids to be violent. But that was really funny. <laughs> and of course, like Henderson gets back and he's just and he's just like, what happened here? And the kids are like, she punched him. <laughs> and he was like, no, it was an accident. And they're like, you clearly checked to make sure he wasn't looking before you did. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but... Henderson still goes easy on her because Anya justifies it by saying that one of them like pushed past this girl she had befriended and was actually like, you know, being mean to her. And that was the reason she got violent was because they were being mean to her friend. So he's like, you can't do that. So I'm going to reduce the punishment to the minimum that I possibly can because you did a very good thing, but you can't break the rules of the school so blatantly as that. And then the kid she punched out gets a, a child to crush on her. It's I I don't have too much to say about the series because it's just so good. I can't criticize like any aspect of it because it's so funny and so earnest. Like you said, there are the one thing I think we haven't really talked a whole lot about is how many actually heartwarming moments there are in this story. It's for what it is. I think that so far it's basically been perfect. It, it is enjoyable. It's easy to read. The characters are immediately recognizable and likable. Uh, we're currently in the middle of a little uh, story arc where yours brother uh, has come to see them. And she and he's a big reason why she wanted to make uh, it seem like she is having a happy personal life. And it turns out that he's basically part of the FBI. And of course, neither of them know about it. So another element's been introduced of someone with this absurd elite background that neither of them know anything about. Uh, and I can't wait for the next chapter. The chapters get released every other Sunday. You can check it out on Manga Plus. Yeah, so there's like a, a big kind of, there's, there's a lot of excitement for the series right now because it's one of the highest ranking series on uh, manga plus like in between yeah. one piece and dragon ball basically so everyone's yeah. like wow that's it's a really like, good spot it's in the same group as like my hero one piece and dragon ball <laughs> it's like, yeah. so it's like it, it's pretty satisfying there and I, I i do have to say that normally when there's like a lot of excitement towards something i i judge it probably more critically than i should uh just because like overblown hype oftentimes mm -hmm. leads to disappointment um but this was like one that I was like, no, nah, I really don't have any. This is exactly as, as enjoyable as people were making it out to be. And I, I super enjoyed that we got to read it before uh, yeah. we probably had to read some big old bullshit. Yep. We'll see. Well, uh, we'll be announcing what we're going to read next week, by the way. I haven't picked it out yet. Okay. But go. I'll, I'll let you know early so that we okay. can get as much of a start on as we can. But anyway. 
yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Let's talk about our regular manga because we're going to need to do it kind of quickly today. <clears throat> okay, Chris, recap portion of the manga recap. My Hero Academia, number 239, Successor. Hey, it's me, Spinner, and I d- did nothing in this arc, it turns out. <laughs> a lot of buildup. Uh, the Shino of his series. Yeah. He, um... It, he's like hitched up right on the back of the van that the politician guy trumpets on. Uh, but he doesn't end up doing anything in this other than just kind of witnessing some things happen. Uh, and there is not a whole lot to talk about in this chapter because there's a lot of just really big widespread destruction visuals that happen as Shigaraki's power is fully unleashed uh, we get a little bit of uh, mental narration from Redestro as stuff is going on because he's thinking to himself that, you know, as all this decay is spreading across the ground. And uh, he remembers lessons that were taught to him uh, about, you know, power and freedom and liberation. And basically, true freedom is holding people's. Uh, lives and their efforts in the palm of your hand and you can close them all your hand and destroy everything or you could roll it around in your palm according to your whims that melding of hatred and delight is true freedom and the point at the end of the chapter is that that is what he sees in Shigaraki is that he has he embodies that sense of freedom because he has the power to crush everything or to manipulate everything uh, and we witness that because he's just destroying the entire city around him. His decay has gotten to the point that buildings are crumbling and he is just cackling in joy as he does it. And Redestro can do nothing but try and get the fuck away. Uh, like his armor has disintegrated off of him. He's trying to get around on different parts of it so that he avoids touching anything decaying so that he won't be killed. But eventually his feet touch the ground and he has to use a big chunk of metal from his armor to cut his feet off or else he'll die. Yay. I bet he's going to, this is going to be an interesting rubber match. They're going to have <laughs> this is like, so when I watched million dollar baby, I, I, I was probably when did, when did million dollar baby come out? Like 2003 or four, I think. So I was about like 14, 15 at the time. And I was pretty, uh, I'll admit, fully, uh, very uh, set in my ways back then. So when I saw Million Dollar Baby, I was like, this is a really good boxing movie. And I was like, I really enjoy the boxing in this movie. Uh, Spoilers for those of you who haven't seen Million Dollar Baby yet. uh, But uh, Hilary Swank gets punched. She gets this big match against this, like, German champion opponent. And the German champion is like on the like the backswing, so like a round ends, and then the German chick goes and just fucking clocks Hillary Swank because she's walking back to her corner, and Hillary Swank hits her neck under her uh, uh, bench, stool. Like her stool, and is paralyzed. And the story is not about boxing anymore. No, but in my mind, I just kept watching it as she's recovering, and I was like. Man, this rubber match is going to be very satisfying. <laughs> and then there's the scene, like, it's it's like a cut transition of her in the hospital to a, a clearly a cut scene where they've now amputated her leg. And I was like, ooh, this is going to make this rubber match really difficult now. <laughs> 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 I was like, I don't know how they're going to get back to having her fight. 
fight. <laughs> and they don't. Yeah, they don't. It's, it's a much different movie then. No, I think it's like her dealing with like her family life or something after that or something like her mom. Or, I don't know. I anyway, mean, it's, it's about euthanasia after that, mostly. Yay. <laughs> Academy Award. <laughs> it's a good movie. I, I admit that now, but at the time I was like, man, I wish they really gotten back to the boxing. I really wanted to see that rubber match. <laughs> like in my mind, I like in the black mirror world that I create, I just create see, I just create new endings to movies that I was more excited for the start about. I was like, <laughs> like she gets back and she has like a robot leg and she's like, "Let's do this, bitch!" And then, and then they have a big boxing match on like the moon or something. Like it goes very big because you've already replaced her leg with like a cyber leg, so you gotta keep like escalating. She becomes like one of the cyber fighters in uh, Real Steel, mm-hmm. so she can fight without you know having to actually do footwork. Oh, so Clint Eastwood could be the real robot behind her, like, or the real boxer behind her. He's like <laughs> controlling her like a puppet. St- wasn't that how Real Steel worked? Did they fight with robots that they pretended to box? <laughs> only huge, only Hugh Jackman did that. Oh, uh, I see. I just assumed it was Rock'em Soccer Robots. Basically, it was just like it I, basically was. I, but he's like, oh, I can shoot a robot, and he, he, you know, he goes in there. Ah, uh, yes, the many, many roles that Hugh Jackman keeps his Australian accent for. <laughs> he's always it's so distinct. He's like, oh, I am the greatest showman. <laughs> it's a line from the song. I don't know how. It goes. Oklahoma. <laughs> On the Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Logan's musical number. <laughs> it's his theme that we'd play every time he'd come up on stage. <laughs> that's like the... Uh, <laughs> that's the version of the ending of the Incredits of Logan that you didn't see, you know? I will make you hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the like Daphne Keen looking. She turns the crossover and an exit walks out and it just... Oh, Oh, and like as it slowly fades in the back, you just hear like a single guitar pluck. It's like I was the Wolverine, <laughs> and I sliced and diced my way to smithereens. You're like, oh, he's rhyming. He still got it. <laughs> Logan's still with the surprises, even six feet under. All right, guys, <laughs> we're gonna move on. <laughs> Redestro cuts his legs off. <laughs> Shigaraki approaches him through the dirt. He's actually kind of dragging his legs a little bit, so it seems as though he's hasn't had a great time either. Uh, and he says, hey, why are we fighting again? All right, because you picked a fight with me. <laughs> Such a little shit. <laughs> so, yeah, you want some more fucker? <laughs> Trumpet shows up with the big crowd of people from the army. And they're like, holy shit, Redestro's, you know, been crippled by this. And so Trumpet tries to get everyone to save them and nothing happens. Shigaraki looks at everyone and they're like, Jesus Christ, that guy's scary. And Trumpet realizes that his insight is being drowned out because apparently having his full quirk awakened has given Shigaraki emperor hockey. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like, it sucks because One Piece established like, this thing into an actual mechanic of their universe. Right. So that's the, the, every time that a cliche comes out, I was like, ah, Emperor Hockey, ah, power levels, you know. Yeah. Reed Astro, however, tells Trumpet, yeah, let's, no, if we fight anymore, there's just going to be unnecessary death. And he actually gets on his hands and knees and Bay Shigaraki, look, just 
they were willing to die for me. They were just following Destro's will. So, you know, our, my life is in your hands. You know, I've lost and I've, I, I, it's my fault that we were fighting. I lost, but I've been prepared to die in the name of Destro's will. But he realizes as he's doing this, that that sense of liberation, the free use of meta abilities, he sees before him this man who facing down all of this history they were working towards, all of this, this faded bloodline, the abyss loom before him, this young man laughed it all off. And he's watched, he's looking up at him and Gigantomachia has arrived on the scene and he looks at Chikaraki and he sees this image of one of all for one with his arms spread. Spinner is there, of course, watching too. And Redestro bows before Shigaraki and says, the metahuman liberation army is yours to command. And Gigantomachia looks at, uh, at Shigaraki and he's there's a tear coming from his eye and he says a true successor and spinner says that crumbled that warped crumbling horizon i had never seen anything prettier our dead end tail started to picking up steam again to the point that nobody could stop it and shigaraki looks over all this and literally a light bulb appears over his head and he remembers what a shitty circumstance they were in because they did not agree to work with the Shihasakai. And so because of that, they were starving and hungry and without money. And so he's like, hey, you've got money, right? And that's where the chapter ends, which I really appreciate because we've got this big chapter that shows this like Shigaraki has, you know, come into his own. Now he is the big bad of the series. Now he is proven to Gigantomachia, which is the most effective part of all this. Fuck Redestro being like, please don't kill us. Command the army. You know, fuck, fuck all that. It, 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 I don't know why he's a much deeper impact on me to have Gigantomachia being like, he is worthy now after seeing all of this. So we have all this saying like, you know, Shigaraki, oh, look at how powerful he is. Look at all this, this, might he has to command now and he's just like oh we've got money now sweet <laughs> because as always he's a shitty little kid so <laughs> it's a nice way to like ground the the moment too where he's like oh crap cool we can get some sushi right now or yeah. something like that yeah like okay cool uh i'm super excited to see where this goes because it's kind of a big thing to be like hey uh you didn't just win and get stronger you didn't just win, get stronger, got Gigantomachia on your side. You won, got stronger, got Gigantomachia, and an entire army of superhumans mm-hmm. on your side as well. Uh, which, I mean, who knows? Potentially even, I guess, uh, you know, a legless Redestro is a part of. Like, I don't really know what will happen from here, but that's kind of the best place for a series to be. Was when you're like, I wonder where we're going to go from here. Yeah. Well, in addition to that, uh, there's... Uh... You know, we know that the Metahuman Liberation Army actually has at least one pro hero under its belt. So who knows what kinds of connections they've got there. These guys are connected to different uh, companies and organizations with a lot of power behind them. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's move on to Eden Zero, Chapter 57. My mother's a machine. There's not a question mark there in the title, but. I uh, just felt like that was like a more 80s sitcom kind of way of doing the title. It's almost like a light novel kind of thing. You know, a, I can't believe my mother's a machine or something like that. Yeah, exactly. 
Like that darn cat. <laughs> uh, so Habor. Speaking of running. which, <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get going because she apparently used the B cube uh, mm. and found out the truth about Valkyrie. And then we go to a flashback because <laughs> we gotta find that truth out. So if uh, we go back to the planet that they were on before, where Hamor was being raised by Valkyrie. And they're having conversations about how the sushi is very good and very delicious. And they do all the little moments like, oh, you know, I I can never say that I love my mentor because that'd be embarrassing. But that's my character trait that I say mm-hmm. it out loud. And oh, hey, you look good in this kimono. And oh, this is the little bear I keep with me. Uh, but it's worth noting the little bear is the only thing that she has from her mother. Her mm-hmm. mother left before the war starts. So she's not... Uh, a true orphan in the way that the war made her an orphan. Uh, her mother is still out there, apparently earning money. So who knows? But more doesn't care about that right now because uh, she sees Valkyrie as her mentor. And that's all she needs right now. She's like, that's mm-hmm. my mother. She's not my mother. She's my mentor. She so. actually gets upset with like, you know, cause they're like, there, there are these women who are, you know, saying some mean things about, uh, about Valkyrie from the, sidelines and they're like oh i can't talk can you believe that robot is trying to play mother to her and homer's like she's not my mother she's my mentor and she's really strong and kind and you know she's standing up for her but she's always clarifying she's not my mother she's my mentor shut up (laughs) yeah and uh then we cut over to a bunch of high school bullies who talk about how hot homora's mom is because it's really weird this is a thing that people would do where they would walk up to somebody and be like are your your mom mom is hot your mom's (laughs) are your mom's boobs soft now there's an entire underlying conversation here to the fact that Hamora, they see Hamora's mom as valkyrie and valkyrie is a robot so they're like oh your mom's not really a person it's a thing so by that nature we are allowed to objectify it and want to uh, feel up its breasts as much as possible. Uh, but the scene still comes across very strange and out of place in this uh, moment because you're mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine people talking like this, yeah. which is significant because this leads to the crux of the entire chapter where Hamor has to go before like the head uh, town official who's the father of one of the kids that she insulted and well uh, and punched apparently apparently punched as well. And she has to apologize because he's like, well, my kid's a dickhead, but you just got to say you're sorry. And Amor's like, or uh, Valkyrie's like, yeah, you got to learn that you can't use violence to, to like solve your problems. You can't use it against like weaker people than you like apologizes in order from you. Uh, but Amor won't apologize because she's like, you insulted my mentor. You apologize. No, you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they get into a big fight again. And the kid's like, you should brand her on the face. And I'm surprised they didn't do that. I'm really shocked. That wasn't another fetish hero wanted to get out of his, his, his fetish pocket, which is the thing mm. that people have. He has a little pocket and inside are just all the little things. <laughs> no, all fetishes. All, all, yeah, he just opens it up. Some and it's people just like, have bigger pockets than others, I think. <laughs> he just opens it up and it's just like, what? you have a feet looking chapter and he's like all right and he starts strong hero doesn't have a pocket he's got a fetish duffel bag <laughs> he's got a, it's like a bag of holding to fetish uh so there's the infinite space inside of it. <laughs> there's no stopping it so uh basically which is fine by the way just, mm-hmm. he's just a little bit weird and putting it in his series for 15 year olds to read sometimes <laughs> so uh what's his name the the 
the magistrate magistrate is basically like kind of understandable. It's weird because he's actually I was shocked because he's reasonable. He could have so like I was expecting this guy because this is like the hero way to have this guy be just as big a douchebag as his son. I was truly 100 percent expected to be like, oh, well. You shamed my family, so I'll shame you. You guys had to walk home naked or some shit yes. like something like that. Where instead he's just like, eh, I spoiled my kid a little too much. Anyway, you got to like, you know, kind of actually do the thing, though. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to apologize. Yeah. And well, because he actually talks to her after like they've just kind of taken the kids away because they're clearly not getting anywhere. So. So. Yeah, he basically says, like, you know, if you can't discipline her, then you shouldn't be your mother. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm not. And he's like, yeah, but, I, you know, uh, you're not actually her mother. So. Well, he says, machines, he says, I can love my son. And she's like, are you saying machines can't? And he's like, no. Well, I mean, yes, <laughs> probably. I mean, I'm not that reasonable. Whoa, hey, come on. I'm still, hey, I got to be a bad guy some way. Uh, but no, he's like, yeah, you know, you're not actually her mother. So mm-hmm. your ability to love her is going to be a little bit different. And that, that seems to affect uh, Valkyrie greatly. So uh, Valkyrie is walking home with her and basically says at that moment, she's like, I should have said something to her, but I didn't because, you know, I kept seeing her hold on to that little bear that was the symbol of her mother. And that's when I made up my mind to find her real mother. And this is Nick. Where I said to myself, I hope this doesn't go the one place I feel like it's about to. <laughs> and I cursed myself. I set it into motion. Uh, so we just see a scene of Valkyrie going to visit Time Super Person. And, narrator Girl. Yeah, Narrator Girl. And narrator girl's like, oh, you you want to find Hamora's real mother? And she's like, yes, I had to find her real mother. She's like, well, then, I suppose I'll tell you where she is. Where her real mother, Karanai Kagetsu, is. And I was like, story, I don't, I didn't, there was no need for this. There was no need to tie these two characters together. Mm-hmm. This feels like such an afterthought thing, and there's not really any cool payoff in yeah. stretch for this. Like I'm like, holy shit, these two characters who have never interacted before are connected. I think that's the real problem with this, because I think that, I mean, until you get to the exact reveal, I think that there's a lot of good stuff in this chapter. Uh, I really like seeing the relationship between Homura and Valkyrie, uh, and I like... You know, the explanation for why Valkyrie, you know, things feels that she has to do this because it's like and I, I like the driving home of the point of like she carries around this symbol of her of her real mother. So I can't fill that void for her because clearly she wants she's some part of her still does want her back. So she feels that that's something she has to do. And that's why she went away. I would be okay with Hamora and Kurenai being related if we knew more about Kurenai at this point. We know that she is, you know, a sadist and that she's power hungry and all that stuff. But it still feels as though we haven't really gotten a 
real feel for who she is as a person for this to have as big of an impact as it could have had. If we had had more scenes of her in her throne room and like really had it driven home the point of how greedy she was, how selfish she was, how sadistic she was, then this would be more impactful. And it wouldn't have had to even be a whole lot more. Just, you know, a few more chapters where we would have that scene for, you know, about a quarter or a third of it of seeing her operate and have that consistent establishment of her character. And then you could see, like, this is what it actually means that this person, this cruel person, is Homura's mother. So it it might be interesting for the payoff that'll potentially happen. My hope is that what we we get is, you know, Hamora meets her, Kur and I uh, just mentions like, oh man, it was so great not to have to be poor and destitute and taking care of a child uh, once I became basically the god of this planet. And I really had no desire to give that up to come back and raise you. It is just a complete shithead about it. And then we kind of get the end of that resolution being, uh, she doesn't redeem herself. Uh, Kuranai is still just a very greedy person, and Hamora accepts that, like, oh, Valkyrie, you were my mom, basically. Because I don't know. Kuranai's got boobs, Chris. <laughs> Hamora, you're saying Valkyrie doesn't have boobs, Nick? From those. My point is that of all of the villains that Hero has, the ones with boobs are the ones that he tends to be the least eager to actually have to pay up for their crimes. I'm so. trying to think, was there ever a super unrepentant female character in Fairy Tale? I, there was Kyoka, I guess. Kyoka got a little bit more. Like when I when I'm thinking I'm thinking like a Mard Gear or a Brain, or like one of those guys who you're like I guess they didn't do anything and then they just died and they were just shitheads all the way through. Usually when it's a, like a character like that, they give them something. Right. Cause there was, I mean like, you know, Brandish was the, was the one member of the, of the, of the 10 mages who, you know, just had like an outright, you know, she's a good guy now thing. Di Maria like had her weird connection to Brandish and then there was Irene who was hers as mother and they had to resolve all of that stuff. And, as, you know, like it seems to be a very consistent thing of like, you know, it's like, oh, well, she's a hot woman. So, you know, there's got to be more like done for her to, you know, not be as dislikable. So, you know, it, it, it's it's where it is. I, I the, the problem I have with this, this reveal is like this arc didn't feel like it needed it. No. I felt like there was already enough going on that I was like, I'm intrigued. I want to follow this. You've got enough moving pieces. This just feels like kind of overwriting it when you're like, mm. wait a minute. What if Master Splinter <laughs> learned martial arts from a book that fell into the studio? <laughs> and you're like, I don't did. We, and April raised them. You're like, I don't know if that's where we needed. I don't know. If we need to tie all the loose ends together this much. It's fine. If some of them are a little like a spider web and they go off in their own directions. My problem with it more isn't that there's too much going on. I think it's more that if you were going to do this, then this should have been the point of this arc. I mean, and it didn't feel like it was because you talk about the stuff that's going on. And it's like, all right, well, that whole thing with like the collars and the bugs and everything. Why did you have all of that if 
none of that was the point. Like, you know, you just have a character there who steals the collars off of them. That is time that could have been spent instead building up this character that you're going to reveal this important relationship about. So anyway, let's move on to talk about uh, Boruto. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because this is a big action chapter. Uh, Jigen is confronting Naruto and Kawaki in Naruto's home. And he wants to take Kawaki, and Kawaki actually is willing to give himself up because he doesn't want the, the Hokage, who he's grown to care about and see as kind of a father figure, to get hurt. Uh, and Naruto's like, no, I'm going to fight this guy, and I'm going to defend everyone in the village because that's my job as Hokage. And so Jigen tries to do something that would be intelligent. Uh, well, he uses the time space juice thing, takes Naruto through a portal and like drags him into this wasteland. And he's like, there's nothing here and I'm going to leave you here. And again, acid dimension <laughs> could have just left him in the acid dimension. <laughs> You're like, oh, wow, this is really easy. Turns it up. You have the ability to just move people to other dimensions and they don't have the ability to get out. This is a pretty overpowered yeah. ability. So he just leaves him in this wasteland and is just going to just leave him there. And then go back and do what he was going to do. But then the first time in years, Chris, possibly over a decade, Sasuke appears through a time space portal with his own Renegon Jutsu thing and kicks him. And I'm like, fuck, yes, Sasuke's here. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing. I want to see Nick pop for Sasuke. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, Sasuke. And then I was like, wait a minute. Did I just feel that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like somewhere the younger me is like there was like there's this weird like cross time moment where like you as a child like you. At, well, I guess not you as a child. I guess you at like you as a teenager. Ni- 19 was like, I hate Sasuke. And then like this this moment passes by on like the time roller coaster or whatever. And you were just like, oh, my heart. What's happening? <laughs> no. Boruto Sasuke is really good. And then, anyway, that's, that's that's where you like decided like this was going to be your loop. Where you're like, I must go in the future and kill my future self so I don't grow up to love Sasuke like he does. Wait a minute. <laughs> that's how it works, I think. We also see a little bit of uh, Boruto and uh, Sarada seeing some of the stuff that's happened as they make their way to uh, where Naruto was. Uh, and uh, Naruto is fighting with Jigen. Sasuke is fighting with Jigen. Uh, they find out that Jigen's specialty is a size manipulation jutsu. So he has actually been making these chakra rods appear by shrinking them down, stabbing them into someone, and then having them uh, grow large again so that they strike a mortal blow. Uh, so he's actually doing really well against the two of them. Uh, Naruto in particular is really struggling because like his shadow clones are just falling like dominoes. Uh, but they figure out what his jutsu is and they manage to, uh, and they figure out like, Oh, he's disappearing and reappearing by actually like shrinking himself and then growing himself again. So, uh, they manage to basically corner him by having Naruto use this massive Rasengan to force him to have to absorb it. And then while he's busy absorbing it, his movement is slow. So Sasuke is able to strike a blow. But then when he reappears, he's just got the karma kind of growing over his body again. And they're like, oh, what's this transformation? And that's where the chapter ends. So. Uh, so Boruto every week, 
uh, every month rather, uh, always throws me a curveball because I forget it exists. And <laughs> I go into Weekly Manga Recap having read all of the series over the weekend, and then I click on the page to get my tabs open, and I'm like, I didn't read Boruto, so I hadn't read Boruto this week. Uh, and flipping through the chapter now, it seems like it's pretty fun. I don't know if that's a proper evaluation, but I legitimately think Boruto is still a pretty fun series that, you know, has some faults at times, but otherwise has become like a pretty fun kind of like follow up to Naruto that kind of mm-hmm. builds upon itself. Uh, which is sort of weird because we actually have another Kishimoto series running, and this is the one that I'm far more interested in following. Samurai 8, the tale of Hachimaru. Uh, so Hachimaru is introduced to his seven brothers, and one of them is like, I am Ikaku, and I'm like, you better have a three-segmented spear thing. So... He's like, no, oh, it's like two segments. Oh. I'm like, just get out of here then. So Hachimaru's siblings seem really boring here in Chapter 14, Father's Secret, because only one of them is talking, the others are just kind of going, hmm... Uh, I'm doing nothing. It's, I guess, significant that they're all supposed to look alike and be emotionless because they were all created just to basically be a key for Pandora's box or the other box, whatever. whatever there are goal two boxes. Whatever goal this series is trying to accomplish that I don't have the codex it's just for. What the so. series, it's just what the series needed, Chris. More lore. <laughs> it, it's like when I started playing Final Fantasy 13 and you open it up and you're like, what's a foul C? Oh, they won't stop saying it. All right, just nod and play along like you understand. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, your PC in a game followed, like, your knowledge of stuff as opposed to having set preset dialogue and just being like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these samurais are keys. That's how this world works for sure. Uh, so I guess it makes sense that they have no uh, personality, but that is... Look, just give me your cute hat so that we can be friends. Like, <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Uh, but it is super boring. Which of you am I marrying in this timeline? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the, it's the Fire Emblem universe then. All I have to consider is who I'm marrying. Uh, but yeah, it's super boring that all these characters look exactly the same and don't really have any distinguishing personality differences, but it makes sense. But yeah. that's still really boring. Yeah, exactly. It makes sense that they're functional because they're androids or whatever, but yeah. So... They're seven keys to open a box, but the balance was lost when you, the eighth, were born. The effectiveness of the seven keys dimmed as a result. If your power is not returned to us, we will not be able to open the box, so we need you. And of course, when that happens, you will die. But I want you to understand that just that is just restoring this project to its intended state. When you emerged, you were dying despite having stolen our strength from us. From the perspective of the experiment, the seven of us were, in a, were a success, but you were the exception, the project's failure. And so Dharma's like, you've already opened Pandora's box? And Nara's like, no, no, not that one. <laughs> Mandela's box. And Dharma's like, I know what this means, even though the audience doesn't. We will explain later in another lore-heavy chapter. <laughs> me like oh boy i can't wait to find out about this thing i definitely already know about like just beads of sweat dripping from my face so dharma's like you have committed treason atta do you think this is what hannah wants for you to become a traitor and atta's like i was the one who committed treachery first it was god jesus christ be a little more fucking dramatic man (laughs) 
And Dharma, as the hologram goes away, is just like, you have lost your heroism, Mata. And I just like, we will meet again. And if we do, you will lose everything. I have one last present for you. Please take it. And Dharma's like, what's he talking about? And we don't find out what he's talking about. Anyway, Hachimaru's father is fucking dying over here. <laughs> um... Hachimaru is, you know, desperate to try and find a solution. He suggests that they take his father back to the life support device that he was hooked up to for his entire life. Uh, and he's like, OK, you know, let's let's go quickly. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Anne, but we're going to have to fly fast. But Hagamichi looks up and it's starting to rain. And he's like, if we're going to, you know, transport a sick patient in this condition, in this weather, that could actually be detrimental to him at this point. So we should actually look for a proper medical facility instead. And eventually Hachimaru's father's just like, I'm not going to make it. And so he has some last words to share with his son. And, and yeah, he says like, you know, look, I was done for as soon as I activated the device in my chest. Uh, and he starts talking to him about, uh, you know, his, siblings and he's like look the things they said are all true in fact i once actually tried to kill you i thought that if i killed you before your power was returned to the septuplets that they wouldn't be able to open the boxes and we see a flashback of him reaching out towards hachimaru and hachimaru's tiny hand just grabs around his one finger because hachimaru was so small and weak at this point and he realized that he couldn't do it and he says, I was lonely. My existence was nothing but lab experiments. And in that moment, I felt something inside of me, a special feeling. So I left. I took you and fled the lab and taught you demonic language and gave you wolves to raise so that you could be a cool sniper. It's look, the parallels. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? That would be, this would make for a much more interesting series if he taught you taught fucking Hachimaru. Now help Emma. <laughs> Now help Emma make the new promise. <laughs> and we're like, holy shit, this series is a fucking, it's like a weird spinoff tie-in series to the Promised Neverland, which is weird because it adds a bunch of lore that the Promised Neverland never addresses. <laughs> but, you know, I guess that's for their world. It's sort of like how uh, when the Avengers face a threat, Doctor Strange comes in and you're like, don't you have like multiverses to save? Like, are, aren't you keeping Nightmare from or Dormammu from entering our universe and uh, obliterating all yes, existence I, and reality that we know of? But didn't you see, I tried to summon the mirror dimension and Thanos shattered it so that won't work. <laughs> He's like, hey, somebody has to stop Carnage. It's like, I don't think we need all of us here. You should, you should still be on Dormammu duty. Isn't that a Spider-Man villain? <laughs> oh, oh, we can't use him anymore. Dormammu's already infiltrated the universe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he basically tries to save that Hachimaru's like, yeah, I swore to protect you, but I failed to do that. It, in the end, I was just, you know, bluffing. And Hachimaru's like, no, you wasn't a bluff, dad. Um, they have an emotional conversation and Hachimaru's, you know, apologizing for being a shitty kid. And he's like, please don't die. And he says, look, you being hooked up to that life support device, that wasn't the thing you holding you back. It was me. I decided you were on the side that needed protection. I didn't believe in your growth or your dreams or any of your choices. But the truth is you were always strong from the very beginning. You were always a very strong boy. And he's like, you know, 
you've proven it. You know, by now you are a samurai on the protecting side. And Hachimaru puts his hand on his dad's chest. He apologizes for giving him grief all this time. And his father just says, yeah, you were selfish and you were a brat. But, you know, that's why I had such an enjoyable life is because you were that way. So I'm glad that I had you for a son. And um, he takes his hand and he takes uh, An's hand and he puts them together. And he's like, you protect, try to protect him to have something to protect. It's surely the sign of a good life. You must now be strong for her and keep her safe and go protect the galaxy. Stop Atta. No pressure. Come on, kid. Hop to it. And... But then he just says, that's enough father-son talk. Now is the time to leave. And he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hachimaru was, you know, holding his head in his arms and Anne's crying. And Hayasaka is howling and that's it. He's, he's dead. So, I mean, there's some good stuff in this chapter. Uh, it does have some strong visuals, I think, uh, in it with, uh, you know, the tiny finger grab and uh, just... Hachimaru holding his father's head in his arms while he's passed away and the rain is falling on them. But, man, it doesn't start off on the right foot. We are the lore creatures. We are your lore, Hachimaru. There is more lore waiting for you ahead. And it's it's like there's like an emotional thing we want to get to go away, you know, so. Yeah. So, like, uh, this is the game. Like, this is the moment where I, I kind of like as this chapter ends you would expect like to pan up into the sky and in the sky, the title card like Samurai 8 would appear. You're like, the yeah. prologue and is the prologue. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't. Uh, also, it's sort of weird that Kishimoto has been doing this for so long and he has a really weird way of framing this final super significant panel when you're like, why is what's his name and his dog like the biggest things like why are we seeing them super close up but like the super emotional scene because I had to like squint I was like oh yeah I guess Daruma's in there and I was like this seems like a weird way to frame this shot with uh what's his name up in the front but it's still like you know super emotional you know it, it hits on the good moments the 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 moment of like oh the moment I was gonna save you is when I. I saw you gripping to life with your little baby hands. You're like, ah, it's very sweet. It's very, very nice. Uh, But as you said, all of the samurai stuff is just overwhelming. And we just keep getting more of it. Mm -hmm. I do wonder how much of the series artwork Kishimoto has a hand in directing. Um, Because I don't know if he actually like, you know, does a manuscript or if he just like writes. I mean, I don't, so I don't know. assume this has to be like kind of one of those partnership things, right? Like a writer, mm-hmm. com- like artist combo where he doesn't handle all the rigors of like the artistry, but he must have some say in it. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the methodology between the two of them is, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. It, it was really weird seeing not just uh, Hagamichi, but Hagamichi's uh, key holder. Be like, I'm a big dog. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Taking I guess, up a third of this panel. I guess everyone has these dogs, which begs the question, Nick. And let's just get really real here. Why does every samurai need a dog and a princess? I did. I, I feel like that's too much. You should need one thing. You can't have both. So Hachimaru, you're either going to have to kill your dog or your girlfriend. <laughs> 
which I have to assume that <laughs> I have to assume the Joker has thrown that exact same scenario to Batman at some point. Oh, uh, yes, Batman. You're going to have to either kill Catwoman or ace the Bat Hound. <laughs> Batman's like, no, you ever touched my dog. He's only been in, you know, some parts of. He's honestly one of the more overlooked parts of my mythos. <laughs> I mean, they're doing a Batwoman TV show. He has less. He has less clout than Batwoman. All right. <clears throat> Ooh, that Let's joke feels like it was really weird now. To the last Sayuki, Chris. The, the last, last, last Sayuki. Sayuki. Final chapter, the last Sayuki. Um, I do recall that we were having some people in the chat room a couple weeks ago telling us that they'd heard that this chapter was going to be the last one, but I wasn't sure of that. Uh, about a third of the way through this chapter, I was like, okay, this is the last chapter. <laughs> like, oh, okay, we're done now. So, uh, Ryunosuke and Koharu and Estelle have come out of the black gate that, uh, Koharu had walked through and Gohaku is there to greet them. And, uh, he is bowing his head in apology and almost all of the dialogue in this chapter is just this one speech that Ryunosuke delivers. There is a tiny little bit where a little nameless boy comforts his mother for a couple of word bubbles. There are a few bits where Gohaku opens his mouth and ellipses come out. Otherwise, it is all Ryunosuke talking. And there are some really cool things that he says, I feel like. Uh, the primary stuff that he does is that, you know, he does kind of berate his dad a little bit but he's like hey look lift your head up you know i know you feel guilt and you felt guilt all this time but are you trying to tell me that you know all the happy times we shared together were lies then you know screw you you know that, that i know that it wasn't a complete lie we had fun we went to the ball game together when we went to the beach together and i was really happy that i was able to find these people that i could rely on these friends my sister kohaku and, hey, Estelle just made us a promise. You know that ominous thing she said at the end of the last chapter? We didn't have enough space in order to give her, let her say it herself, so I'm just going to summarize. She said that she's going to be by my side this entire time with me and Koharu. <laughs> That's what she said. That's the gist of it. Uh, but he says something really cool, which is that one day he wants to be able for the three of them to go to school together. He wants them to be able to make more friends. He wants to play in a baseball game again with Shige. He wants their friends to come and cheer them on in the baseball game. I want to go to a summer festival, eat baked yams in the fall, make an igloo in the winter. Okay. <laughs> and one day I want to hit a home run in that ballpark. And one day I want to go to the beach with you again, dad. And I, I want us to, you know, play catch and get all wor worn out. I want us to eat Faruka Sensei's cooking. It'll be a fun day, and even you will laugh out loud. And for me, and he says, for me, this place is not hell. You know, I don't care what you and mom wanted for me. I don't care how scary this time is. I know that there are a lot of fun things here, and I want to do a lot of them. And there are people I want to be here with. And he holds Koharu in Estelle's hands and says, and there are people who want to be with me. And we will fight against anyone for what we want. That's the midway point of the chapter. Already really good, yeah. I think. Uh, I do love the moment where it's like, and we'll hang out with people, and they'll come to cheer at our games. Like this girl who clearly was going to be introduced very soon because they're 
gonna be a character I was gonna keep around, but you know, fuck it. I came up with the design. I'm gonna use it for a couple goddamn panels. There is so much in this chapter of like, oh, look at the ideas I didn't get to use. It's no nowhere is it more apparent than like the the third to last page. But that's definitely the, the the characters showing up and being like, yeah, I didn't get to do any of the actual establishing characters with these two girls, but here they are anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um. The last half of the chapter is primarily narration from Yuneske's perspective. And he basically says, we know of the despair that is coming and that we will need courage to face it. And we see either Koharu or Kay with the mask on. Uh, in the television broadcast, we see uh, we saw in the first chapter calling upon people's fears. And we see this huge Oni looking thing with giant glowing wings appearing over the horizon, looming over this city. All these people watching on TV appear and be terrified. And Ryunosuke says a lot of people may, you know, a single person may only have a little bit of courage, may crack under the pressure. But even if it's just a little bit, if we add it all together, if everyone's hopes of the future gathered together, there's no fear that can't be overcome. And we see an older crew of of uh kids there's rinosuke there koharu there shige is there estella's there and they're with gohaku and fukuda and some other character we've never seen before with glowing white hair and he's got the crown from the weird leader of the group uh with the googly eyes floating over his head is that um uh, the evil kid we met earlier Possibly. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. He's way in the background and most of his face is covered. <laughs> but I do like some parts of this because that, you know, I, I really like some of the details in this one little image because uh, Ryunosuke has got his baseball bat. He's wearing his hat differently. Koharu uh, has a dragon tail the way that Ryunosuke does. Uh, and Estelle is dressing the way that uh, that Fukuda does with the polka dotted tie and the suspenders and stuff. And uh, we see Ryunosuke like taking a batting stance and swinging the bat while like energy crackles around him. And he says, I already know what the end of this story is. I know what the future holds. And then cut to black. The very last image of the series is a big two page spread of a baseball flying through the air because he's just hit a home run. It's a really optimistic ending for a series cut so soon honestly and it actually made me feel really happy to read it which took me by surprise because usually you have this really bitter sweet feeling whenever you finish a series but this gave me so like oh this would have been so cool but look at how cool it is anyway and i love the message of like i already know what this series is going what how this story is going to end and it, it's like his confidence that they're going to get that happy ending makes kind of makes me feel like yeah, okay, good. They won. Yeah, you know. th there's there's no need to be like, I wonder how it goes, because you're like, the tone definitely seems to suggest that they all stand together and fight against it. But without actually having to do that long and protracted fight, they spend it talking about the characters and the moments and kind of giving you a sense of closure about things, which is a pretty, like, better and more satisfying way to do it than to be like, oh, my arch nemesis brother, who was going to be the main antagonist <laughs> of the entire story, showed up. Let's fight him now. I really feel as though Nanoe um, is going to get a lot of support from just this chapter because I think that this that people are going to read this and be like, oh, that would have been really cool to see. And I hope that that reflects in uh, 
the support that he gets for his next series. Because this series, I think, would have been really good to see stick around because it wasn't always at its best and it was kind of middling, especially at the beginning. And it did seem like it didn't know what kind of series it wanted to be at first. But once it started getting into, uh, you know, its supporting cast and really establishing the relationship between Ryunosuke and Koharu and that kind of thing, it really showed the potential that it had. And I think that this could have really been a good series. And I think that uh, hopefully his next one is going to be is going to be really good and is going to actually stick around. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bummer when you get a chapter like this because you're like, there's a lot of interesting things here that I said are not going to be explained. I think that is supposed to be Say, who was the bad guy of the series before. And you're like, I wonder how Say was going to join up with them. I wonder how Shige was mm-hmm. going to be part of the team. I wonder, you know, what's the what's with the baseball cap with the spade on it, which we see like almost or not the spade, but something that looks like a spade that everyone <laughs> in town is wearing. Like, yeah. obviously, the things that the manga had plans for didn't really get to, but still kind of gives us in the final chapter. So uh, it's a shame because not only is this a good series that's ending kind of early, uh, Jump's been kind of missing a lot on its jump starts or mm. new series for a while. Oh, but Chris, there's, there's chainsaw, man. The, the, the series of a generation that 70 fucking people want me to read. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there's that. I'm not angry about that. <laughs> uh, but outside of like chainsaw, man. And I guess if you want to count samurai, but I certainly wouldn't uh, <laughs> basically it's not a real jump start. Like, no, <laughs> like, it's not really, uh, one of those, but yeah, what? I mean, we're the Kishimoto, one of the most successful manga of the last 25 years has been. Behind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, it's gonna be one of those things where you're like, oh, I kind of hope Jump keeps something recently in a while. I, 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 people are bringing up series that are still around, yes, I know Act Age and Demon Slayer, like, I know, I know they're all around, but those are like kind of like older series now in comparison, where you're like, you look at the, la- the like the bottom ranking series to jump right now it's double taisei beast children tokyo shinobi squad and yui Camille let's lose and you're like oh that's all the new ones right so it's like ah it's kind of a bummer that if everything was doing so bad that the one that kind of got ended first now it makes sense because it's been the longest running of them but right, like right. oh that last sayuki couldn't get like a little bit more of like oh let's check out a bit more yeah, because if there's, you know, five series that aren't new and aren't doing so hot, uh, then that means that there is a little bit more space for one of them to succeed. Yeah, so. it was it was a hope that like, all right, in a time when Jump kind of doesn't have like the 70 big power hitters that it normally does kind of fallen into like a static thing right now. And there's not like one big series that kind of dips towards the bottom to kind of break it mm-hmm. up. You're like, Oh, maybe, maybe this wouldn't be the one to get it. Right. Food Wars is food Wars has just ended. Uh, we never learn is probably going to end sometime in 2020. Like I can't imagine that series going for another 16 months. Like at this point, we just had a big examiner around the corner chapter that we're going to be talking about now. There is no way it can last an incredibly long period of time after this. So it's like there is going to be that opening. So where's the series that's going to fill the gap? It's Chainsaw Man, Nick. You're in denial over it. Uh, in case people are curious, what we're talking about is a poll that was created. You can check it up on the Twitters uh, about what jump series you should read currently. Hey, Nick. Chainsaw Man is tied for first right now with Demon Slayer. 
Uh, and Act Age. They're all tied. All three of them are tied. I think that the, I think that's honestly like I've seen them kind of like trade around a little bit, so that's probably a pretty strong indication of. It's what just we, me uh, quietly being like in my camp, like let's go high Q, and like I'm slowly lowering my side. I think it's too far along at this point is the problem. So Sigh. Sigh. anyway, Sayuki. Uh, uh there we go. All right. Last Sayuki. About... Last Sayuki was uh, was a really good series, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't always the best, but I think in the last half dozen or so chapters, it, it was really strong. So. All right. Let's talk about We Never Learn. Question one twenty three. Their thoughts turn to departing year. The departing year in a pizza bet. Uh, so it's a New Year's festival. I want to make a note about this color page that we get at the beginning. Because. This is one of the first times where I'm just like, is this evidence that that Seikicho loves Ogata romantically or not? Because it's three side girls who are holding up dolls. And we've got uh, so we've got uh, Miharu holding up a Kirisu doll, the one that she introduced last time. But then we've got Yuiga's younger sister holding up a doll of Yuiga. And then we've got one of Seikicho holding up a doll of Ogata. And I'm like, well, Yuiga's younger sister has weird feelings towards him. But I don't think Miharu has those towards Kirisu. What does that mean about Seiki Jonagata? I don't actually know. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what I thought when I saw this cover page. I was like, Sekiju doesn't on. have red hair? What? I was confused by that too. I was, I was like, like, I could have sworn to God she like she's just a brunette. A brunette? <laughs> huh. All right. And that's why I paid it no mind. Also, we are super behind on time, so we yeah, uh, we've we're just gonna jump ahead. Time. This is a New Year's uh, festival celebration. Uh Uega shows up, sees all the girls in their Yukatas, and he's smart enough to realize that they all look good, so he says they all look good, and uh yeah. Firmino has a little moment. Uh, we go about with all the different girls having a moment where they try to feed him some food. Uh, there's some silliness that happens there. He walks over and sees that uh, Konami is there, or Komonami rather, Konami. and uh, they have a little moment where she teases him. Uh, this is basically uh, the greatest hits of all the girls uh, as Yuega comes across them at this festival. Uh, Kirisu is stuck in a bush, but out, uh, and not since cross manage with the it's... one pearl has a butt stuck in a bush ever looked so good <laughs> well which also makes me wonder what are yukata's made out of because you can you because, see her panty lines i'm like because somehow in this series no matter what the fabric of clothing you're wearing uh you will always see panty lines underneath it uh Kirisu's down there because she was waiting for everybody and she saw a piece of trash went to go reach it and just felt like tumbled face over ass into the bush and nobody did anything, no. which is the only thing I find really hysterical about the scenario because we saw people on the bench. Uh, it all leads to a thing where we found out that all the like good luck in your academics going forward charms were bought. Uh, but it turns out they were all bought by Kirisu that so that she could give them to the to the kids. And uh, that's that's what's basically the chapter. They all go to pray for what lays ahead of them in yeah. the uh, the upcoming exams. And that's that's basically it. It's a pretty straightforward chapter, but it's also really, really nice. I really liked this chapter. This kind of reminded me a little bit of the conversation we had back during uh, Bakuman, where they had the vacation to the hot springs and you kind of had that 
feeling of finality before the actual finale. Uh, because it's like, hey, you know, this is kind of like our final stop before we take our exams. And here are all the characters to check in on. And, you know, there are the characters that you know, we hope are going to do well and the characters that are also rooting for them and stuff. And, you know, we get that final note of Kirisu is really hoping that Yuiga and all of his friends are going to do well. And Yuiga also has a lot of time where he's reflecting on the year that they've had together, all the stuff that all the experiences that they've had. And also he's kind of starting to realize a little bit that he's his feelings towards the girls around him are a little bit more than professional. So there's a lot of really good stuff. And there's also, you know, just little cameos like Seijo is there. Uh, Freaking Furuhashi's weird uh, entourage of girls are there. We actually see the uh, girl from the swim club and Yuiga's friend are still a couple and stuff. There's a lot of really sweet moments in this that I really enjoy. Dr. Stone. It's Dr. Stone. Nick. Dr. Stone. Dr. Got Stone. So. Of course, Ryusui is back. He and Soyu, not he and Soyu, yeah, he and Soyu try and dive down to get the uh, stone statues of all the people who've been petrified. And immediately they're like, uh, nope, run out of here. Swim back up. Um, there is one shot as they're diving in after they've stripped off their clothes where it looks like Soyuz is just getting a full eye full of Ryusui's dick, um, given the expression that he makes. Anyway, Senku's like, we need to make scuba diving gear in order to uh, get down there. So they disassemble more of the science cart, which Gen's like, oh, Kaseki's going to be really upset about this. And Senku and Ryus, we have this like really cool romantic moment where they're just like, don't underestimate Kaseki's skills. He'll just build it all over again. You should. And they're like, why are you acting like you've got a big emotional moment? You're just <laughs> making Kaseki work more. <laughs> You're not going to do anything. So they've made a pump so that they can pump air into these tanks that they have kind of jimmied together. And at first they're like, oh, this is actually really easy. And Sink is like, well, yeah, because there's very little atmospheric pressure in them now. Eventually it's going to be really hard. And eventually they have to make this really, really long lever with like all of the guys weighing it down to try and squeeze more air into it. And Suika is desperately pouring water onto the tank in order to make sure it doesn't explode from all the heat inside of it. Uh, and the pump actually ends up exploding after they managed to fill up two tanks. But Sega's like, all right, that's enough. Uh, give them oxygen tanks. And again, Ryusui and Soyuz dive down to try and investigate stuff. And they find basically like a graveyard of people, all of the people that are down there in fragments. Uh, and they send up these uh, little airbags as a signal to everyone that they have found everybody up uh, down here. And uh, we end the chapter on this, you know, visual that it's going to be, you know, we're racing towards a uh, battle between the petrification kingdom and the kingdom of science. And the final vision we get is Ryus. We reaching down to Kaseki's petrified hand as if he's going to help him up out of the ground. It's a cool little shot. Yep. It's an all right chapter of Dr. Stone. They have a problem. They invent something in order to solve it. There's not a whole lot of uh, individual moments to make note of, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do like it. It's very satisfying. Uh, I think the next chapter is probably going to be the more exciting one, presumably when they actually free everybody. And it's going to be that moment. You're like, ah, oh, cool. The gang's back together. Hmm. All, right. all right. Let's talk about Seven Deadly Sins. Nick, chapter 323. I'm right here. 
Uh, so Melodius and uh, Gauther have gone inside Zeldris' memories, and they need to wake him up. But evil fate Gelda is going to stop and get in the way. And I thought this was going to be like a super long, protracted thing of being like, no, Zal, I'm the real Melodius. She's like taunting you. Uh, but Zeldris figures it out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're not the real Gelda. So she's like, but I, I love you more than anyone else. Yeah, she would never say that. She is cold hearted. <laughs> and, and she's like, fine, fuck you. And she withers away into dust. Uh, but uh, a bunch of illusions of, of Zeldris appear all like kind of in the same predicament, all kind of like begging for help. And I love that all of them are also saying like, ignore those fakes. I am the real one. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all like contradicting each other. This is all Melodius uh, like, all right, well, I'll just cut the ropes. And he goes to cut one of the ropes, but Gauther throws himself in the way and gets knocked into one of the Zeldrises that turns out to be a fake. And he's like, you don't understand. If you interfere with the mind in any way, then you'll be forcibly extra, like, you know, like launched out of the mind as a like a foreign object that's interfering. So Gauther basically sacrificed himself because he's getting evicted because he interfered technically mm-hmm. and says, you have to find a real Zeldris. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Uh, so we go back into the real world. There's a bunch of fights going on. Uh, and Demon King uh, is, or Demon Lord, Demon Lord. Whatever. Is, yeah, whatever. Uh, is very, like, cocky. He's like, oh, 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 you deserve to be overwhelmed. And Look then, at my beard. Oh. Yeah, look at my beard. Uh, and then Gelda shows up and he's just like, meow. And he's like, oh, what the fuck? And he rips her head off. And everyone's I like, was like, ah! <laughs> everyone's like, holy shit! Oh my god, how'd you do that? And then she starts talking. She's like, oh, you big dumb idiot. <laughs> don't don't underestimate the regenerative powers of vampires. As her disembodied, like her decapitated head starts floating back. It's not even connected. And she's still like got the arms out doing like the sassy back talk. It's great. And she's like, ah, oh, you don't understand. I didn't bite you to attack you idiot i bit you to bind myself to your blood so i'm going into your mind too mm-hmm. and uh we cut back inside melodious like i don't know how i'm going to be able to figure out the real uh zeldris and then uh one of the zeldrises i don't know if this is supposed to be the real one or if this is a fake one that's trying to get him to leave is like hey melodious i have a request go back and, and tell gelda something for me and uh, in that moment, Gelda shows up and is like, I'm going to find you. And it's like, oh, what a sweet little moment. I think that was a good enough time to admit that um, before this whole plot uh, began with uh, Zeldris, you know, reflecting on Gelda's death and stuff, I completely forgot that she was a thing at all. So, like, she's kind of showing up and all, doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, have you done any of this before? I don't remember <laughs> you. So I, this is me in the fall seas all over again. I'm like, absolutely. I remember this lore. It's very significant and very cool. Which of you am I marrying again? <laughs> <laughs> Promise Neverland, chapter 146. So the attack on the capital has begun. Uh, the bombs have been set off. Things are going well among Norman's operatives, but that's not the majority of the chapter. The majority of the chapter is seeing Gielin, uh, his forces go after the nobles themselves, break through a door. Uh, one of the demon nobles tries to stop them and he's like, mother, father, get behind me. And then one of them stabs him through the head and he's like, ah! <laughs> leaves uh, the current Lord Bayon and no whatever. I don't remember th- their names. And they're like, what the hell happened? And Gielin's like, ah, yes, you recognize your family, don't you, from their appearance, from their smell. 
that's because we ate them and took on their appearance. And like, except for the, the heads of the noble families, literally all of them there have been eaten and replaced by Gilan's forces. It's fucked up and amazing. <laughs> and they take the masks off and reveal themselves. And and so Gilan's like, we're here to take our revenge. And he picks up the demon lord that just got stabbed through the head and starts biting into him. And he's like, ah, 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 ah. and, uh, Bayon seems really pissed off about this. He's clutching, you know, the mask of one of his family members in his hand while this is happening. And the Empress is just like, how amusing. And that's the chapter. She doesn't give a fuck. So it's interesting that a series about demons with a whole bunch of demon politics. And that's the stuff that I'm like, boring. Let's go back to the kids. Let's go back to that wolf girl. Uh, because all this stuff it seems very cool, but I don't really know what's happening. Well, because I don't remember half of their names. So. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember their names. and We, we really were know. just introduced to these characters a few chapters ago, so. Yeah. All right. uh, Black Clover. Yeah, let's talk uh, Black Clover page 216, Power Balance. So, last chapter, the demon, or the wizard king, revealed that uh, the other king, the Clover Kingdom was going to be attacked and potentially collapse and an Asta might die. And that's oh, no. the situation right here. And uh, Asta's reaction be? Will uh, it be? Will it be hmm. grim or will it be? <laughs> well, hold on, Nick. So he did just, we did just fight a giant war. Uh, there were casualties on both sides. The, the Diamond Kingdom is, or the Clover Kingdom is going to take time to rebuild. And he just found out that this, the country he loves is potentially going to die uh, and that he might die. And it's being delivered to him by the mentor that he thought he had lost that just came back. So there's a lot of conflicting emotions yeah. inside of Asta right now. Who knows how he'll react? Uh, he goes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's, he, he has the exact response we would expect. Uh, basically the, the, the um, the kid, the wizard king, is like, hey, so everyone knows that the devil was behind this, and I know that it's not your devil, but you're the kid with the devil in his fucking notebook shit, so it's gonna look really bad, and everyone's going to blame you for this. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole moment where uh, they like, yeah, they're like, the horns kind of reveal yourself to be devils, and uh, the wizard king sees them on Sekre, and he's like, ah, okay, I see how it is. Uh, and he's like, oh, you could turn yourself into a bird. She's like, yes, originally I was cursed and turned into this, but I believe now I can just use transformation magic to er, not use transformation magic. I can seal myself into the shape of a bird with my sealing magic. And I'm like, sure. Why not? I'll just see seal a fireball into your face with their sealing magic or some bullshit. Uh, they explained the different other kingdoms that are out there. They mentioned the Diamond Kingdom is a very aggressive country with no qualms about humans' experiments. Uh, but don't worry, they're being mind-controlled right now, so that's that one's all handled. Uh, they don't mention that at all. <laughs> they don't. Well, I God, I hope they remember to bring it up at some point. Uh, the Heart Country seems to be like kind of in a very like nature, like a jungle kind of area, so it has very powerful like natural mana around it. So they say that one's really important. And then there is the spade country that has uh, served and is like on top of like evil burial grounds and is the country of demons, winters and many mysteries. And like, I wonder which one's going to be the evil one. Then we see a map of the diamond and heart and spade kingdoms. And the wizard King said 
that they were surrounded by three kingdoms. And I'm immediately like, the spade kingdom's over there, though. I you don't share a border. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be that that's like, like, a, like a free-for-all land, because they don't label it. Right, the Spade Kingdom is over there. Yeah. Uh, oh, so it's like you're not surrounded by them then. They're <laughs> like, oh, oh. Uh, but well, shut up, like, shut yeah. up, Nick. There's four. There's four card suits. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Got to, got to get all of them in there. Maybe that's the Joker uh, land. The Joker. Oh, the and, Wild Card yeah, Kingdom. Yeah, Wild Card rules. Uh, like yeah. So we <laughs> it means can... the superstars from Raw and SmackDown can show up whenever the Rays need a bump. <laughs> I wish they had just described it that way. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, not to, you know, we don't have time for tangents. I'm, I'm off, man. Oh, duh. There's so many good ones to go on. Uh, they mentioned, like, hey, because our kingdom's kind of a disarray right now, this is the perfect time for any of those kingdoms to attack us. So we're in a super vulnerable time right now. And there's a very real chance that they're going to try to put the power of the devil that you have on trial to convict you of it and then we get the legitimately best moment maybe of the entire arc where we're like oh i wonder what's gonna happen and we see the king of the clover kingdom and he's like well done my boy you protected me and it's sec <laughs> who's like who has his shitty shield magic that was established before and it's just him like uh, 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 and he's like, yes, you, a common boy, used your shields to protect me. And Zek's like, oh, in his mind, he's like, it was completely by accident. <laughs> but he's like, well, with my newfound power, it's a complete cakewalk. And it's so fucking funny, and I hope they actually go along with this. Like, Zek is named, like, the Grand Vizier or something. And he like gets, that. like, a prestigious position because of this. Because this is legitimately a funny way to handle this. Just put two absurdly useless characters together. Yeah, like it's such a great payoff for them. Somehow Zonge shows up to be there too. <laughs> hey guys, I'm here too. <laughs> um, and then a bunch of uh, nameless uh, magic people show up to be like, we're going to kill the wizard king, or not the wizard king, the regular king, the king king. And he's like, oh, please don't kill me. Uh, but who should get in the way but somebody with scale magic. And uh, it's a person who basically makes everybody kneel because he's very powerful. And uh, his name's something in here. Someone I don't think his name is ever Yeah, said. no. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, Damnatio. I don't know if that is actually his name or if he says or if he means to say damnation. Uh, I guess we'll find out next time. I assumed it was Domnatio, and I was like, that's a weird name, but who knows? Anyway, uh, yeah, that's 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 what the chapter ends with. And he's here to deal with the devil-possessed wretch. Mm -hmm. So looks like we've got a new... Dun, dun, dun. You know Look out, Asta. There's a guy with a cowlick coming for you. You know what this reminds me of when, uh, what was it, Mistval or whoever the guy was in uh, fairy tale showed up and he's like I work with the magic council and I'm going to oversee your guilt to make sure you're not up to trouble and then it turns out he was secretly a member of fairy tale all along and it just had his memory wiped oh yeah <laughs> and you were like what a stupid twist <laughs> I want the exact same oh yeah thing. But this guy is secretly <laughs> that's the thing that happened <laughs> yeah you were like, oh, thank God, Doran Bolt's here, whatever his stupid name was. You must erase your mind over and over again, I guess. <laughs>
I hope this guy's the exact same thing. He's a secret black bull just erased his mind. <laughs> or maybe uh fucking the, the bird used sealing magic to seal his memories away. Alright, let's go on to One Piece, chapter 952. Hiyori and Kawamatsu. Uh, Cesaro has gone to confront the bandit guy who took his fucking sword and is kicking his ass. Um, and he's like, no, you can't have it back. The sword Shusui was a stolen national treasure of Wano and its removal from our land was the start of all of our misfortune. It incurred the wrath of the God of the blade and the country itself has fallen under enemy control as a result. Kumurasaki is watching this and she's like, wait, Shusui. Hmm. And Zoro just like, what God? <laughs> Pretty sure that Zoro has been like established as being like very atheistic, so yeah, it's 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 been like a character trait of his, uh, which is kind of weird, but uh, for like a manga character to have now that I think about it, but anyway, uh, so Kamamatsu shows up and he kind of breaks up the fight a little bit and he's like, What the hell are you doing fighting here and not actually trying to hurt each other? Uh, and he actually identifies, uh, um, not rather, uh, Kam- Komorosaki recognizes Kawamatsu and calls him by name, and he's like, who are you? But we cut away from that for a little bit over to where, <laughs> honestly, my favorite part of the chapter, where Big Mom and Kaido are fighting. They've been fighting literally all night, and so some of the guys that are watching the fight are like, "We sh- should we evacuate to the mainland? And Queen says, no! What kind of idiot runs away when the boss is fighting? And one of the, and then he's like, well, has the, also, has there been any word from Udon yet? And one of them says, no, no, we still can't get any connection on the smail. And he's like, I'd better go check on them. <laughs> it's just like for the next three pages, he keeps on trying to make excuses for him to go to the mainland so he can get away from the danger. So in a way that makes him still look cool and heroic. <laughs> and they actually get a, a, a call on the smail from uh, the warden, Babanuki. And uh, he's like, all right, uh, do you need some help over there? And they're like, it's like, no, everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and he, there is even a point. It's like, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 as reported, there are no problems. Please let there be problems. So they can go and help you. But we cut over to where the later camp is. And we actually see that Babanuki has been taking control of Biotama, which was an ability that I completely forgot about because she hadn't used it in a while. But yeah, he's an animal user. So, He's her slave now. And so she used him to just report everything was fine. Uh, Caribou is actually being celebrated as as having done a good job by Rizo because, you know, he shut down the transpondence until they could do all this. Uh, the mummy's curse has been taken care of by Chopper. Uh, and they're like, oh, we are forever in your debts. And he's like, no, don't do that because samurai debts are really, really bothersome to have. <laughs> Uh, Hyogro was being celebrated. The previous heads of the freaking Yakuza have been set free and they're all bowing in subjugation to Hyogro now that they've rediscovered him. And Luffy's like, ha ha ha, look at Gramps. He's like, he's the boss of all these guys. And they start threatening to chop off his fingers and toes for calling him Gramps. And he's like, no, don't do that. I owe him my life. Raizo reports to Kinemon. Uh, who has just gotten the plans to Kaido's mansion. Did you remember that plot point? Because I forgot about it. It's okay, though. Oda didn't. It turns out Ashura was the guy at the end of that whole path of people that had stolen and bought and everything, the plans to the mansion. So they've got them now. Hooray. Uh, 
Kinemon gets the transpondence from Raizo, who reports all the good news because not only have they freed Luffy, they've freed Kawamatsu, they've freed three and a half thousand men, they've taken over the entire labor camp. Things are going great for now. Uh, however, Raizo does point out that none of them have weapons, uh, and all of the weapons factories through Wano are now made to produce weapons for foreign countries as opposed to, you know, stuff that samurai would use, swords and spears. Gee, I wonder if the guy who's stolen a lot of swords will come in handy for this point. Ooh, that'd be good. Uh, Kinemon is like, yeah, we need katanas. I will, uh, you know, pr- I will uh, go and assess our, uh, and our, our strength by going to Amigasa Village. But, uh, you know, continue making reports and stuff, Raizo. And so he heads off. We cut over to uh, Zoro and Kawamatsu. Kawamatsu has reunited with Hiyori, uh, Kumurasaki's real name, uh, which if they say her name more often, I might actually start calling her by that name instead of Kumurasaki. Anyway, uh, it turns out Kamatsu is the Kappa that raised Hiyori after her parents died, uh, but she had run away from him because she knew that he was starving having to look after her. And it turns out that her running away actually did do a lot of good because Kamamatsu has put on a lot of weight since then, apparently. He was all shriveled up, and now he's a lot healthier now. And so they have this tearful reunion. Well, tearful on Hiyori's part. And things are good. But then, oh no, some guys show up and start shooting people, and the bandit gets shot. And the and so Kamamatsu and Zoro turn to fight them off. Uh, and they're like, hey, asshole, Gyukimaru. This, these are things that are used to hunt wild beasts, and we're going to pay you back for stealing our weapons. And Kyukimaru responds by turning tail and running the fuck away. Whoa. Although he says to himself as he runs, Master Kamatsu, I'm so glad that you're alive and well. So, hmm, is he actually running away out of cowardice, or is there something he needs to do? That's the end of the chapter. Uh, yeah, this, so this is a chapter where we cut around like 16 times to very different things. Uh, Oda has a lot of balls that he's juggling right now. And, uh, you know, when you have that many balls that are different colors that you have to keep track of, sometimes a little bit of the beauty is lost in there. But I have faith that Oda is going to be able to put it all together towards the end. That was my way of saying that I got confused with a couple things that were happening in this chapter, but it was still fun. I did definitely feel as though there were some things that happened in this chapter that it felt like, okay, the net's actually getting pulled in now after be cast such a wide one over the course of this. So it feels like things are starting to really come together as we head towards the conclusion of this arc. And uh, we're going to presumably be getting into like this actual battle that's going to break out. Are we in the third act? There was no curtain uh, for the second act yet. So I think that things are still getting in place. And the third act is probably going to be the actual war. Because I feel like this is a chapter that's leading us up to that because we're seeing Mm -hmm. where kind of everybody is right now. Right. I think that we'll probably be getting the uh, curtain soon. Let's name our favorite chapters and characters this week. Chris. Uh, So it's a tough one because there weren't a ton of chapters I super duper loved, but I'm going to say my chapter of the week was probably Last Sayuki because it was Mm. a super little fun way of kind of ending it. Uh, I really don't have a great answer for for character of the week. I guess I guess Shigaraki because I'm kind of excited to see what he does next. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to to have uh, Ryunosuke as my character of the week. I really like because I mean he was 
what the chapter was all about uh, in this case. And he he's the one who gave that, you know, sense of optimism and you know forgiveness and camaraderie. And I really liked it. My favorite chapter this week, however, was We Never Learn. We didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but it was just this, you know, really nice feeling uh, that I got. And, you know, it was nice to see all these characters that we had met before in, you know, a nice way seeing them all gathered together and being friendly with one another. And for once, for the most part, avoiding all the stupid shenanigans that we never learn gets up to. Yes, there was the bit with Kurisu being ass out in a hedge, but that was taken away from pretty quickly. And for the most part, it was just like, hey, you know, there's everyone that Yuiga's made friends with. And it was really nice to have him reflecting on his time with them. Yeah, no, I dig it. That's going to do it for Weekly Mugger Recap. Next week, we will declare what series we're going to be covering for Sadistic September, so get ready for that. We want to thank everyone for joining us here on Twitch.tv slash and Smashcast.tv slash We record the show sometime between 7.30 and 8 Eastern uh, on Wednesdays. But sometimes we need to change things up. Follow us on Twitter in order to stay updated, at WMR Podcast, at RolloT, at NickFTime. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymongrecap.poppy.com, on YouTube, on iTunes. And you can also check out our Discord server, where you can ask us questions for Q&A episodes. You can submit suggestions for future manga by going to the big spreadsheet that Ninja X3i maintains, where we keep track of all the stuff that we've covered, that we're going to be covering. Uh, and also, you can check out the stuff that uh, for the supplemental awards at the end of the year on there as well. Special thanks go out to all of our Patreon supporters. Your support allows great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And special thanks to Steve Man, our tower carist, infamous planet, Milo Stillitz, soundcloud.com slash milo-jack-stillitz, and Winsdale Cheddar, youtube.com slash Winsdale Cheddar for the opening sequence. All right. And that's it. Do it. Nick, yeah. any last thoughts you want to share out there before we head off into that beautiful sunset? Oh, I mean, the, it's dark outside, so. Ah, fuck it. Let's just walk into that darkness. It'll be cool, Nick. We're going to be like vampires walking out. Yeah, and we and don't need to get invited to that. Nope. Oh, can that... you imagine if vampires needed to be invited outside? It'd be so easy oh. to keep them in cages. Yeah, you'd just be like, nope, you can't come out. And there's nope. No... By the way, guys, we are talking about vampires, and this is where you see that Weekly Manga Recap is actually a tightly scripted show because we bookended the start yeah. and the end of the show with vampires. That's Open okay. at the close. Yeah, we're, we're, we are smart. Mm. Let's go. Bye.